Welcome back to another OU Football Podcast. My name is Joe Bettner. With me as always, Mr. Tyler Palmatier and special guests, Norman Transcript Education Reporter Emma Keith. Emma, how are you? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Doing great. I feel like Emma's role encompasses a lot more than just education. Well, I'm going off the Twitter bio here. What Emma provides on the Twitter bio is what I'm going off of. But thank you for having me, a woman who knows almost nothing about football, on your football podcast. We thought nothing. I mean, I know nothing about football and people in our like iTunes ratings and reviews like to tell me that I don't know anything about football. So it's kind of par for the course for us. Okay. so we're really happy to have you. I fit right in. But you are knowledgeable on topics that happened this weekend. And it was a big weekend in the Oklahoma community. Oklahoma has their 15th president, Joe Harris, former law dean, if you didn't know, has been the interim for the, has been OU's interim president for the past year. Emma, just start here. This felt really unexpected. Like, I did not see this coming when, like, it was on the timeline. They're like, oh, the, the regents are meeting and uh, Harris's kids are showing up to the, to the union. Um, was this expected as far as just like him getting the full-time role after, you know, basically auditioning for a year? So him getting the full-time role, I think was not unexpected. The way it happened definitely was. Um, I know that going into the regents meeting, I didn't really expect anything big. Um, the day the agenda came out, I was kind of like, well, maybe I'll write something. Maybe I'll just look over it for myself. Um, found out that on the agenda, there was an item that showed that the regents might make Harris uh, the permanent president. So I know that myself and other reporters were really surprised at how it went down. And even kind of throughout the weekend, they made him permanent president on Saturday. So even Friday and like Saturday morning, I think a lot of us were like, is this really going to happen? And then like you mentioned, Saturday afternoon, we started to see a lot of people showing up at the union, Bob Stoops pulls up with Harris's kids. And at that point, I think it kind of sunk in that we were like, oh, they're, they're going to vote to make him the permanent president. But prior to that, we did not know it was going to go down this way or this quickly. Me, me being an idiot, I thought like Bob Stoops was about to give up his like $150,000 salary for just like making appearances every now and then. Um, <laughs> that was not the you, case. You didn't think there was a possibility that Bob Stoops was going to be the 15th president? I thought it was in the realm of possibility. I think that you can't count something like that out. And especially with all of the things and going on with like the big 12 right now. And um, just like college sports as a whole, like Bob Stoops, Joe Castiglione would be quite the tag team as far as just like getting athletic things done. But I feel like Joe Harris from just what I've seen from the like community reaction, it's been really well received. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of the same. And I think that, I mean, he's been at the university for like 25 years now on and off in a number of administrative roles. So um, I've gotten the sense over the last year that he's pretty respected by a lot of the community. Emma, what here's a question that came to my mind. Um, there James Gallagher's or Jim, if you were close with him, I never, I don't know what we settled on. Um, his stint was just uh, uncharacteristically short. What, what sort of hope does a guy like 
uh, Joe Harris provide for long-term stability, um, a la like a David Boren, you know, that was such a, an important thing for OU athletics to have sort of this, this axis of, of three powerful people that worked well together in, in right. Boren and mm-hmm. Joe Castiglione and Bob Stoops for so long. Is there, do you get a sense that he can provide that? I get a sense there's that possibility. I, I know that's why the Regents chose him, um, is partially because they've already seen that he can do that. I mean, when he took the interim position last year, um, what he said on Saturday was that he took the interim job because he knew OU needed a period of stability, um, just get back on its feet after a super tumultuous spring to spring semester. Um, so I think over the last year, he's shown that stability is a big priority of his. Um, we've already seen him and some of OU's upper administrators roll out this strategic plan that's going to guide the university for at least the next five years. And that lays out finances and OU's academic ambitions. Um, so I think even in the super, you know, like 11 to 12 month period that he had before being made permanent president, he made a lot of bigger moves that showed that he's really focused on um, getting OU back on its feet, getting us financially stable. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I was, it was so strange to me to, and I'll let Joe jump in here. I know he's got questions for you too. Um, to, to, you know, people kind of came to the realization that I guess it, it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Harris was actually a finalist for the job that Gallagher got, correct? Right, right. He was one I of mean, the top three finalists, I think. Looking back at just, I guess, how well received Harris has been as an interim president and then and now, um, and kind of the way Gallagher's, you know, short tenure went, it's, I'm surprised that they didn't go with Harris in the first place. Um, but, there, I know a lot goes into this. Um, right. And anybody, do you get that sentiment from anybody else that maybe if OU had a do-over, this would have been their guy two years you know, ago? I, I think there's been a little of that sentiment, and I'm not sure which way I swing on that because um, from a financial perspective, I can see why they chose Gallagher. I mean, he came in and in under a year really took to getting the budget in shape, I think. And that made him immensely unpopular. I mean, there were layoffs during that time. Um, it, it was a tough time for OU, and, and he didn't handle um, a lot of things the way that the community wanted him to handle them. But I think that he kind of set OU up financially for the path that Harris is about to take the university down. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't really know if, if the regents had a do-over if they'd want to pick Harris that first time around. I think they brought someone in to make the tough decisions and, um it's it's been really interesting going from Gallagher to Harris, um, even just personality wise. I mean, you could tell that Gallagher was there to to do business and to make those cuts, um, and it, it made him unpopular sometimes. But I, I think Harris is here to um, kind of get the university back on its feet as a culture too. After that, after that period with Gallagher, um, so I don't, you know. I can't say why the regents made the decision they made or if they'd do it differently, if they could go back. But it is interesting apples to me. apples and oranges almost. You know, right. embraced, em, not embraced, but he certainly 
had the thick skin and knew, and knew right. what he was coming in to do. I mean, the cuts were his his introductory uh, that first Regents meeting. You know, I'll never forget. He was he brought the axe down quickly right. about what he was going to do financially. He wasn't afraid to be the bad guy. Right. So I'm not sure if the regents just needed someone to do that for a short period of time and then they could, you know, bring someone else in. But Gallagher definitely got that done. His whole demeanor just like felt very villainous. And I think that the community as a whole did kind of vilify Gallagher. And I'm curious with something that Harris said this weekend, which I don't think Gallagher would have ever even entertained if he was still president. But Harris seemed pretty optimistic that people were going to be in classes in the fall. And I'm wondering just from what you see from, I guess, the OU community and from like talking to border regions type people and just from your own perception of this thing. But I mean, how realistic is that? Because that's a big puzzle piece to making obviously for, you know, our interests, college football, college athletics restarting again. It seems like People, you know, it seems like students need to be back in the classroom. It can't be like an online thing. But right. is, I mean, is that did you see that as realistic? And obviously no one can predict <laughs> just how bad the virus <laughs> might get in the fall. But I, I mean, right. is that an overly optimistic statement to be making right now? I personally kind of feel like it is at this point. You know, I'm not exactly sure. OU has yet to lay out its full plan for what coming back means. So all they've said right now is that we have this phased plan that's going to start getting people back on campus. Uh, The start date for school will be August 24th. So that phase plan starts today, actually. They're bringing some staff back to campus. So I I guess we're just going to have to see how that goes, um, what it's like having first operation staff and researchers back on campus. I know a big part of this puzzle piece is whether or not OU can get proper testing and contact tracing and PPE to campus. Um, So I think it it partially depends on that. Um, And then, you know, I'm not sure... Even if OU does return to campus, it's going to be really different. Um, They've already talked a little about how they would probably massively space out classes, like try and host bigger classes in bigger spaces so they can give students um, proper social distancing space. Um, And then, you know, move classes around a little bit scheduling wise. So there's not as many people on campus. I think even the dorms and residence life would look much different. Uh, Harris mentioned something the other day about OU setting up uh, single living rooms or residences in the existing dorms. So even if we do come back to campus, it's going to be a much different experience. And I think there's going to be a a lot of accommodations that are going to have to be made. Um, I was on a faculty senate meeting call last Monday, and uh, the provost and an associate provost were on the call, and they got probably no less than five questions from faculty about, uh, well, what if I am uh, compromised or, or a vulnerable person in this pandemic? Am I expected to come back to campus? How am I supposed to teach? So if we do come back to campus, uh, I think there's a lot of liabilities there. There's a lot of people that OU is going to have to make accommodations for. Um, And so I I know there's a lot that goes into making this call, but just seems like a a ton of liabilities to consider when you think about bringing thousands of students and faculty and staff back to campus over the next three months. On on that 
point and in case we're about to move on and this is pure opinion just sort of me thinking out loud but if OU does bring back everybody um they and they have in-person courses they can take all the precautions they want uh on campus and you know PPE spacing you name it uh, hard cleanings but it seems like OU would also be adv- advocating or at least uh, sort of allowing the off-campus experience to go to proceed as as usual. It can't control that. Right. Part. It, it, right. And that's, you know, OU wouldn't be legally liable, I don't think, for what happens off its campus. But you bring everybody back, you're uh, there's really a larger thing at work here, which is you're bringing a lot of kids back who um, are you know, always in crowds, create crowds on their own. And it becomes a little bit like a community risk almost. I mean, I think that's what sticks out to me the most. I'd be curious on either one of your guys' thoughts about that, what the, what the line of thinking could be there. Right. Well, that's what, again, during that faculty Senate meeting last week, a few professors brought up, like, I can take all the precautions I want in my classroom. You can take all the precautions you might have to keep me safe, but students are still going to have a social life if they come back to Norman. And I can't control whether or not my students are out partying all weekend with dozens or hundreds of other people. So I don't know where that um, leaves the university. I mean, like you said, once students leave campus, OU can't control that. So... I mean, we've heard the term super spreader. You know, they it's almost like everybody becomes super spreaders. Right. Is it possible that we could just put everyone in a bubble? And, I mean, is it, it, I guess what I'm trying to get at is just, like, if you have students on campus with, like, single living uh, type classrooms, and I know that the, the new dorms, what is it, the the dorms that are just south oh, of the Oh, Cross city. Village? Yeah, like, I mean... Or the residential colleges. Well, I'm curious, just, like, with the buildings like that, and I know Headington has, like, a few classrooms, I mean, I mean, is it possible that you just start to see maybe basically kids quarantined in, like, their dorm, basically, and then they're just going to class downstairs in these, like, big classrooms? I mean, that I know that there's a lot of, like, a lot of different areas where you couldn't accommodate every single class at Oklahoma, but, or, but just, like, to, to have that on campus, I mean that just feels like a it feels like an option but i'm just curious what you think of like the the classroom setup because you know as well as i that when you're walking down like the south oval um there's just like so many people that right. kind of like when you're fighting the cl- like when you're fighting up against trying to go into class trying to trying to get to walk from building to building but i mean how have have they outlined any type of way that that, that classrooms like in-person classrooms would be different um or is it just kind of like if we can't get them in dale hall or sarkis then this isn't going to happen they really haven't outlined specific specifics yet and that's part of the problem here and i think the issue with ou too is that there's so many commuter students like sure there's a lot of freshmen and and maybe you could contain them a little bit better than you could contain upperclassmen but there are a huge amount of upperclassmen who um, drive to OU from surrounding communities or, or just live around campus in Norman in general. And I, I just think, I mean, I don't know how you 
would control their activities or what they're bringing back to um, their own communities if they don't live in Norman. Um, and I think part of this too, and Tyler, I think you brought this up before, but part of this too, maybe recruitment and retention. I mean, I think it's easy for OU to say we're coming back to classes in the fall right now. Um, the, the president noted on Friday that recruitment and retention really haven't um, decreased for the fall as much as they are projected to on a national scale. So OU is doing pretty well in that right now. So I'm not sure how much of this either is just OU being able to tell incoming freshmen that they'll have in-person classes in the fall. Have they have they considered having any courses at Lloyd Noble Center? Because it really seems like that building has been built for social distancing for some time. <laughs> Perhaps that's why it was built. You know, have we have we has anybody considered that? I'm just asking questions. That is a great question. I think you should get that to the higher ups. I'll kick it up the. Okay. I'll kick it up the what have you. But I know something like that has been discussed at other universities. I mean, they're talking about using arenas like that for bigger classes. Oh, o yeah. you, Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. O OU has classes that are like almost 300 people. So that's, a, that's feasible. Yeah, find a field. I mean, this is the time for creativity. Right. You know? I mean, if it makes sense, whatever. I mean, it's like you got to, if you want to have classes and that's the way to do it, do it. Right. To kind of talk talk to you a little bit more about Joe Harris, just because, um, you know, I feel like it's it, it it feels like a really big deal. Um, but you mentioned this earlier that he has like you know the foundation that Gallagher laid was to hopefully get OU to recover financially, and it seems like Harris can be you know on the academic side of things can get OU back on its feet. Uh, this I mean this has been tossed around I think for a long time for Oklahoma as far as um, possibly moving into a different conference as far as athletics and uh, the idea that David Boren really wanted to make Oklahoma an academic juggernaut of sorts and wanted to raise that profile to a point where they can kind of throw their name around and be considered in a more, I guess, academically prestigious conference such as like the Big Ten do you get that sense that that's, you know, what Harris can be as far as just like, or is that something that he prioritizes? Um, you know, I, it seems like from like the videos I've seen of Harris, he's very charismatic. He's going to be a really good face for the university. But is, is that something that you see him prioritizing as far as just like really wanting OU to, I guess, be uh, not just seen as, you know, just another, you know, flyover state college, I guess. Right. I think that he is prioritizing that. He may not be like the public face of that priority. I think he's delegated some of that to uh, the more academic side of OU. So the provost and uh, this special president's advisory committee, those are the folks that put together that strategic plan I mentioned earlier. And a lot of that plan has to do with raising OU's academic standards, uh, getting the university to um, a more nationally recognized level of institutional research. Harris has been really big on emphasizing 
uh, research at OU. And I know Gallagher kind of adopted that a little bit, but Harris has kind of taken it a step further, I think, uh, under him. I mean, he's even hired a new vice president into a, a, a research role um, to oversee that aspect of OU. So I think that he is really focused on um, upping the nationally recognized academic standards at OU, but it's not something that he may talk about um, as much publicly. I'm curious, um, you touched on this earlier, Emma, you know, a lot, a big component of Gallagher's how he was received from, it was the way he handled uh, race on campus and um, it, it just was not his strength. It didn't seem like uh, handling those types of issues. And there was a tweet from over the weekend from, uh, Nicole Lynn, um, uh, an agent who, an, a football and now basketball agent, I guess, um, who uh, went to OU and she, I believe, was the first black woman to uh, represent a top five pick a couple um, that happened a couple years ago. So she's really made her way. And um, she said that she said that Joe Harris is the right guy. You know, when he was the law dean, he helped her foot a financial obligation she had to make within the law school when she couldn't make it um wow. to have a voice like that you know endorse a guy like you know president harris um and and, and the other thing i was going to tie in with the football side of it is um you know the issues that ou has dealt with within its black community um you know those affect football players and football players have strong voices within those issues and they they have historically you know going back to you know, the SAE incident does, mm -hmm. what, what does president Harris provide from a standpoint of repairing what's been lost or broken, you know, between the university and the, and the black community moving forward? Mm. I think that immediately last year was one of his top priorities. So from the beginning of his interim presidency, he emphasized both the stability priority we talked about earlier and diversity and inclusion. Um, and, and to some extent, I think that he, and he would admit this himself, has been a little a little too eager to see things get back to the right place. Um, I know that in, in the fall, he wanted to host uh, like a, a celebration of diversity and inclusion and the people in his administration had to stop him and say, no, this is not the right time. There's a, a lot more work to be done at OU. Um, and so I think at this point, some of those leaders feel like that work has been getting done and, and he has been prioritizing that. Uh, there was a really stark contrast um, from, like you said, the way Gallagher handled racism at OU to the way that Harris handled it this year. Um, just last year in 20, spring 2019, Gallagher's response to racism at OU was an incident in and of itself, just um, was not well handled on a, on a large scale. Um, and so I think this year, Harris showed that he definitely uh, takes that more seriously. You know, I don't know either their intentions in their heart, but publicly, um, Harris very much showed uh, a little more, um, just that he, he took that seriously immediately. And I think even just seeing, I mean, OU had three days of sit-ins um, in Evans Hall, where the president's office is in late February. 
And um, even just seeing the conclusion that came to, and the leaders of those sit-ins said, um, you know, we're, we're grateful for what administra- how administrators have listened to us through this um, and the, the results that we've come to, but we're going to continue to hold the president accountable here. Um, so it felt like there was some respect there, um, that things had been handled well, but um, OU's black student leadership was going to continue to hold the president accountable. And it seems like that he's someone they feel they can do that with. Um, so I think things have if you, just in my opinion, got better in the last year under Harris after Gallagher, um, in terms of the way OU handles racism and um, the needs of its black students. Is it just a, a level of sensitivity and kind of fireside manner that separates two presidents like that, whereas Gallagher, you know, you can you can break down their responses to the incidents that have happened at OU, but does it come down to, obviously you have to have an action that, that meets what you're saying and you, you have to have action that um, your constituents and your students respect. But I mean, is it just a, how much of it is just, you know, the manner in which you conduct your business? I mean, he, Gallagher, we've kind of talked, he seemed cold. Right. Um, is there... Is there any truth? Does that ring true to you as somebody who's who's covered some of this and covered both administrations? I think it definitely does. I mean, part of the issue with Gallagher was that, yeah, I mean, even when students had a rally last spring against the racism that happened on campus, he spoke at that rally and it turned into a conversation about himself instead of a conversation about the, the racism at hand. So... I think there definitely was that feeling that even just personally, Gallagher didn't care much about what was happening with students. Um, and I think you do much more see that level of care with Harris. I mean, like Joe said, Harris is very charismatic, just a, a great guy to have a conversation with. You even feel that one-on-one difference between him and Gallagher. Um, and so I think while there were uh, some slips in, in Harris's response to the racism that some folks pointed out. Um, like you said, just personality-wise, I think that folks perceive that he handled it a little bit better than Gallagher. And last thing, Emma, is it Joseph Harris? Her- Her- <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm going to have to get the last name right first. Is it Joseph Harris or Joe Harris? Has he said, Emma, call me Joe? You know, I always call him Joe. Um, I called uh, James Gallagher Jim in just casual reference. Um, I think it depends on who you talk to. So maybe that's a question I need to get officially answered. That's maybe that's the difference between these two guys. Seems like uh, you wanted to, you wanted to call him Jim Gallagher, but he was always a James. But, but he never got past James. He mm-hmm. just didn't. He just wasn't a fuzzy, warm character. But um. Joe certainly does have a little bit of the, he has the charisma component. He does. Everyone calls him Joe too. So I think that's, yeah, that's part of it. Big win for the Joe community in Norman. <laughs> We're really ecstatic about how things have panned Joe out. Joe Bettner's pumping his fist right now. <laughs> well, you know, it could only be the most notable Joe in Norman for so long. You know, I'm happy to pass the torch um, on to Harris. So when did you get the torch from Joe Castiglione? 
Um, you know, we we had talked about it, and I think uh, me and Joe C came to a decision that you know this was best for the community to have a singular voice. So really appreciate him and allowing me to have that crown for as long as I did. Um, but very happy for, but very happy for President Harris. Um, Emma, we appreciate you for coming on. That is Emma Keith, Norman transcript news reporter, education beat. She's an alum of the OU Daily, and you can find her on Twitter at Emma underscore C Keith. We'll have all those things in the description of the podcast. Emma, also, you host the Norman Transcript's second podcast, a part of the Norman Transcript Podcast Network, as we are calling it now. Um, This week in Norman, you host it with our more reporter, Jesse Crittenden, who also is kind of a jack of all trades. I do. Can you tell us a little bit about that podcast? Yes. So Jesse and I started this week in Norman when the transcript uh, cut back on our print schedule. We wanted something to kind of fill the the Monday content void. Um, So this podcast should be every Monday. We're still working on some things. Every Monday looks at what happened in Norman the week before that people need to know about, and then it looks forward to the week ahead, um, just pointing out some of the more noteworthy events that are supposed to come up. So we would appreciate if you gave us a listen. This Week in Norman, you can find it on Spotify. Are You guys are still making it to Apple Podcasts, not quite in the feeds yet. Is that correct? Yes, we're, we're working on it. Okay, well, when that's in there, we're going to tell all the people, go subscribe, give them five stars, give them the good rating. Uh, we appreciate your time, Emma, and best of luck. It seems like it's a, a never a dull moment as far as covering OU and just everything that, that's happening. But best of luck, and we, we look forward to talk, talking to you again. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Emma. All right. We appreciate Emma for coming on and talking OU presidency type stuff with us and it's kind of, I mean, there is a lot of ties that, as you kind of mentioned, Tyler, in the interview with Emma, just how linked everything is between the president and the athletic director, the football coach. It just, if those things are working in unison, I think obviously you saw how well it worked out for Oklahoma um, before, obviously, you know, Boren stepped down and kind of fell into scandal, but um for the time that it was, it seemed like everything was working pretty well. And it seems like this is kind of a, kind of a new era. Just uh, obviously Joe Stiglione's still there, but I mean, it doesn't feel like Lincoln Riley is going to leave anytime soon. And Joe Harris seems like a guy that could be a, a, a real lifer uh, at Oklahoma. So we'll be interesting to see. And we'll be interesting to follow as you kind of said at the end of that interview, just there is never a dull moment it seems with OU's president's uh, that president's office just with, and that's probably a lot to do with just how the whole James Gallagher era went on. But uh, it would be, I would, I would really love to see, and I don't know about you, but I would, <laughs> I would love to see how Jim Gallagher would handle coronavirus and just the fact that OU's in a position where they're probably, and will lose a lot of money just based off of how college football is going to be affected by this pandemic. Um, Tyler, I know there's a, a few, th- there was a, quite a few things I feel like that came out this past week that, uh, just surrounding this, just, we got some good stuff from Mark Emmert, NCAA president, as well as Dr. Fauci. Just where do you want to begin? Yeah, well, 
Um, I, I guess just to sort of walk it back a little bit, I thought some of the, you know, here and here's why people need to be following reporters like Emma and, you know, subscribing to the transcript. Um, you know, she does a good job covering educational issues, but the return to campus is a thing that, you know, is going to matter. I mean, there's a, uh, you know, there's a conversation taking place between, you know, commissioners and Mark Emmert about whether or not students should be required to be on campus um, to have football. And, you know, Emmert thinks they have to be on campus um, and that you can't have sports unless colleges are open, you know, with students on them. And so that return to class thing is going to matter. I mean, there's these decisions are going to get made one way or the other. Um, And, you know, the the reporting Emma does and what, you know, the people she speaks with, uh, those those voices have a place in it um, in the conversation. So it's going to be I mean, that's kind of been the latest development, you know, with uh, that happened. I was surprised when that broke. I mean, it broke Friday night um, when Embert said he doesn't think that schools can, uh, you know, restart the their athletic departments with online only classes. And there's a there's a disagreement there. Um, Bob Bowlesby told uh, Stadium that it's, you know, he thinks an online situation with students works and that you can still have athletics. I don't, I mean, in my opinion, I don't, I don't see what the problem would be. Uh, If you have online courses and you have athletics, I think the, probably the, the controversy there would be if you're saying it's not safe for students to be on campus, you know, why are you, why are you uh, allowing, or some might even say, mandating that your athletes put themselves in harm's way. And so there's a, I, I can see from that side, that point of view, why, you know, why it wouldn't be okay. Otherwise, I mean, you can play sports and have everyone else be online. Um, and, and I think having athletics back and having students online, uh, learning online, you know, essentially what you're doing is sort of what Emma mentioned, which is controlling the amount of students that you're um, allowing on campus. And, in the sense of football, you know, you're allowing students on campus for what is essentially a moneymaker. And um, so, you know, on the surface, that's that gets done what colleges want to get done. But, you know, can you, you know, it, there's a there's a moral issue sort of at the center of that, which is why are we going to put athletes and, and allow them to, to touch each other and make contact with each other? and hit each other uh why are we gonna make them do that and not others um and of course that just brings us back to you know this discussion about testing and how much you can how 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 often are we going to be able to test people i mean you basically have to be able to test them every day um so sort of circles everything right back to to testing i mean you, you could probably safely have athletes back on campus if you could test them daily. Um, but do you have the tests to do that? Are you, are you taking tests for people that needed to do that? And, you know, then once you get back to the testing discussion in this whole deal, you're, it's like, you're, you're, you're really just back in the kind of in the rigmarole of this conversation. I mean, it's, there's a lot to sort through. There's a lot to sort through in the next few months. It feels like with, the way that campus is set up that you could easily have a situation where the non student athletes 
are doing classes online and you can in a way quarantine student athletes. I just can't picture a world where that happens. I just can't see where they ask student athletes basically, Hey, come be quarantined at all of our various dorms. Cause you, I mean, there's probably enough. I mean, there's gotta be enough space like for every student athlete to basically have their own room on campus, like at a dorm, um, it might not, my, every kid might not be able to get a Headington dorm, but you know, you'd have quite a few options as far as like the towers and, uh, cross, but I just can't, I can't see that happening. But I mean, that's kind of the, what everyone is looking at is as far as they're not everyone, but just all the professional leagues are looking at ways. How can we basically get these guys in quarantine for two weeks and then have them play basically in a bubble and just keep them there for the duration of the season. And it seems just, I don't know how you travel. Like, I don't know how you, how you bring in Missouri state or a West Virginia or, you know, whoever I can't remember. Oh, he's road schedule off the top of my head, but God, there's so many, so many hoops you got to jump through, but it just, it, it feels. And, you know, I asked Emma about Harris's comments about sports, his expectation that classes will be back on in the fall and we'll have sports in the fall. But just, that just seems super optimistic. Um, I, I, I just, I don't know if, the, I mean, unless there's just like some expedited process with getting a vaccine. And that's like, I mean, I, that feels like the, the minute we get a vaccine, everything will look more, you know, optimistic, but just, it's crazy right now. And I don't know how much you've been out and about, but just kind of like driving around, um, a little bit, you know, you see just people kind of going about their lives. I think the people of Oklahoma and I'm not, you know, I'm not judging anyone. I'm not saying, you know, anyone's right or wrong, but I mean, it seems like people are really fed up with the whole quarantine. Um, and just kind of seeing some of the restaurants that are really packed. You see people on social media posting their dinners out, um, at, at restaurants and to think that, you could have a situation where student athletes are basically being asked to, you know, be quarantined and kind of give up some, some freedom there. Just it feels like you'd have a lot of like, you know, mental health issues on your hand that could just happen. But, uh, you know, we're just kind of, I feel like we're at a point right now where everyone's just kind of past their breaking point as far as just like, how long can you stay in your house? Um, but you know, I'm, I, I just, I'll say this, I don't know where it goes. Go Oh no, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but I mean, I just like, I don't know where this thing goes, man, because it, it does feel like it could, there could be a spike in cases just with the amount of people that are, you know, and once again, I'm not saying that it's for sure going to happen, but just like with the amount of people going out and eating out, um, it seems like that could lead to like, there, there's that infamous photo i don't know if you can say it's infamous if it just happened this weekend but like kong's tavern in oklahoma city just had like shoulder to shoulder people on their patio and so not the best of not the best of looks um but what were you gonna say well i you know i just i I, this is an important week too i guess because it's what we're in week uh i believe week two since some of these states have started to reopen, which is going to give everybody a lot clearer picture of what the infection numbers are because of the um, what is, there's a there's a lag time, you know, in the in the infections to get the numbers back. So this will be an important week to watch for. I mean, I 
Um, and I'm not going to preach to anybody about what to do. I, I will say that, you know, and I, I don't love this, but um, if another month of it, you know, really stems some of the spread, um, then that's what people should be doing. And, um, but it, I also understand the part of, you know, we got to, we also are just going to have to learn to live with the virus, um, because a vaccine isn't, um, what I would call, it doesn't sound like what I would call around the corner. So, you know, if people want to reopen and people want to go out, that's great. But I mean, there's gotta be oversight, you know, there's gotta be, you know, if you're a patio that's open, like I saw the library is open, um, for instance, you know, then those patio, you've got to figure out a way to limit the map. You know, it's just got to be a slow reintegration. You can't just open an entire area up and let the same crowds come back in. It's got to be, you know, a certain amount of spacing, maybe, you know, maybe if you're controlling your entrances and exits, you know, that's, these aren't um, fun sort of restrictions and limitations to deal with, but they are, they're going to be necessary if we want this to get over with. Um, and so I just hope that everybody, uh, plays a, plays a role in, in doing that. So we can just get, get it over, you know, get this thing slowed down, um, at the very best, but who knows, you know, I'm, I'm no expert. I, I just, I do know that I'm the best people to listen to are, are doctors and experts. And I wasn't exactly, uh, you know, I wasn't given a whole lot of encouragement by uh, what Dr. Fauci told NBC Sports um, the other day, where basically they're just, he's just saying, you know, football can be, I think he was quoted as saying the perfect setup to, to keep spreading it. Um, you know, and I, I don't know if, off the top of my head, if he's talking about with there being a crowd, um, but you know, you've just got to, when I, when I hear him say some of the things about how how football can could be, you know, help the spread, it doesn't make me feel any better. But again, you know, you're immediately back to a conversation about testing at that point because, you know, if tests grew on trees and they were short and sweet and maybe less invasive and results came back faster and, you know, if we just had that at our disposal, you could just test everyone every day. But we're not there either yet, but you know, we've also got five months to make some progress. So it's, uh, that's sort of why I started the, you know, every week I'm just going to take one day where I just catch myself up and try and catch everybody else up on what's being said. You know, there's no, uh, we've called it the watch list at the transcript where we just take a look at what, uh, what people are saying. And I, you know, eventually we're going to include some original reporting in that. Um, but it's just a look at see kind of what some of these commissioners and experts and um, guys like Mark Emmert and, you know, Dr. Fauci, just him kind of chiming in like that was really surprised me. I haven't really heard him go in on football yet. Um, so that stuff's interesting and it's not going to give us immediate answers, but we can at least follow the timeline and um, see kind of how this is going to trend. And I think it's important for anybody that's interested uh, in football coming back to to keep up with that kind of stuff and not get caught up uh, in, in, in the predictions or in the, you know, in the, in what politics are included in it. And, and, and just, it's kind of up to everybody to educate themselves at this point, Joe, including you, you and I even. 
staying educated is important. But really, do we need sports, Tyler? Hey, no, apparently some people have, <laughs> after 50 days inside their house and inside their homes, they've, they have decided we do not need sports. We, we don't need more. We need less. I mean, I'll admit, I watched a little bit of cornhole on Saturday and I was looking into the viability of, could I become a professional cornhole player? So I'm definitely in the camp that I miss sports and I need sports. I didn't watch the UFC 249 Saturday night. Heard it was a really good card, but not super big in the UFC. I'm not either. I mean, I was glad for other people that there was something back where they could, so they could watch some sports, but no, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, that a, a pandemic doesn't make me any more interested in UFC, but I saw, uh, Dana White went on with uh, TMZ of all people, and I mean, not whatever. The conversation is not about TMZ, but he he said that leagues were calling him about what they can do to restart their leagues and how they're gonna they're interested in his model. Like what 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 do I not know about UFC? that tells me it's anything it's, it's nothing like the nfl it's two guys fight you test two guys right before the day before the match, or you know the day of the fight like to me that how hard is that to restart no i mean it's it's am the perfect, I, am I, do i not am i missing something i mean it's the perfect it's one of the perfect sports that you can really do it with i mean it's like, it's like 10 freaking people to have. I mean, you know, you're talking about the production of it. There's a lot of other stuff there, obviously. Yeah, but, but you can distance. Just to compete. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so I didn't really get that. But I was, you know, it's encouraging to see that, yeah, honestly, anything at this point, the Korea, I haven't watched any Korean baseball, but just seeing that that was out there, it was like, made me feel a little better. People um, are picking favorite teams in the KBO. Yeah. But did you read Norman Chad's column? <clears throat> For those that don't know what we're talking about, is a Washington Post column that was just heavily ratioed over the weekend. The tweet was about how uh, coronavirus has taught us that we need less sports, not more. That was the that was the tweet. That was it. That was the tweet. I was a little confused when you first sent that to me. That that's something that you want to talk about on today's show. But then once I looked it up, I was like, oh, I know what this. I I saw. I just didn't associate norman chad it just didn't ring it didn't resonate well well, because no nobody knows who he i mean until you look him up nobody knows who he is or i'm not no i shouldn't say nobody there are people plenty of people out there that know who he is but and like i guess he does write goofy columns i was unaware of it you know all i knew the guy from was seeing him on world series of poker because he calls the he called used to call the world series of poker i'm sitting here thinking how could somebody who is a beneficiary of oversaturation of sports on ESPN bite the hand that fed him like that. Um, you know, the, the, the thirst for sports and, you know, sports on TV benefited the game of poker. I mean, I'm not going to call it a sport. I don't, I mean, I just don't really think that it is a little, a little disrespectful to poker players that put in the time. I mean, I mean it's a card game. Well, you know, I think it's. I mean, uh, there's card games and there's sports. So guess who is sport? Guess who? Uh, it you know, 
uh, my house rules, it is a sport. Guess who so can Uno, get pretty heated? Uno is a sport. Oh man, Uno. Yeah, I. You know, no knock on some of the slower sports like golf, but you know, I'll, I'll watch two people play Uno before I watch people play golf. You know. Oh my. It's a. I mean, it's a blood sport, if anything. Well, guess who? There's an easy strategy in case you don't know it. If oh. you know, you ask the person right off the bat if their person has gray hair. This, there's a mistake. There was a mistake made in the fabric of the game. If you guess, does your person have gray hair? You can eliminate a whole lot of possibilities right off the bat. If they do, I think I can't remember if it's if they do or they don't. I hope. Just look like- at the cards next time. Oh, I. You can do this. No, I know. I know. I, oh, I hope you know the trick. Yeah, I mean, this is my my, my old uh, go to was like, does your person have glasses? Like that was an early question for me. Like that basically. Yeah, but the, more, the, the gray hair question limit it. It takes everything away. It takes even more people away than the glasses. Yeah, but I mean, if it, it can go either way. I well, hope there's a kid. When, when this is all over with, we'll me and you will go head to head and we'll see. I we should get on Twitch and play Uno or something. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we no, we definitely should. Okay. Um, but I don't know. I just I, I did. That th- was such an astounding ratio for that column, and I just would. You know, there's so little to talk about that. I was just like, I sort of want to just get off my chest the the problems I had with it, and the biggest problem I have with it, Joe, is that I think. I'm looking at it right now. It's 2.45 p.m., Monday, May 11th. Uh, it has been liked 2,189 times, and it has been retweeted 346 times. The replies right now are 9,099. It, it's one of the most uh, just shocking uh, ratios I've seen. And the tweet, uh, and also which is also the headline on online on the website is the pandemic has reminded us we don't need more sports in our lives we need less are you telling me with the the very smart digital people at the washington post sports department that you they knew that this thing was going to get ratioed to death and you know the bigger the ratio the the more you know, traction it's going to get online. The more clicks it's going to get, the more website hits it's going to get you. Am I wrong in thinking this? It's not. It's a fact. No, I'm saying, are you saying that they intentionally wrote a... Yes. Well, no, I'm not saying it was written for that. You know, uh, this, you know, the author wrote it, I'm sure just probably want another one of his goofy columns. Sounds like it's actually right on brand with what he writes. I have no, I have no problem with the column. Like if this is your take, I, for, then that's fine. Nope, I have no issue with that. I mean, I don't agree with it, and I think it's not representative of very many people, or it's a representative of the minority. This is fine. You know, this is why there's a marketplace of ideas. Go like this does not bother me that this is a take. Also, after reading the column, I didn't even think he made the point well, and I thought it was just rambling and incoherent maybe i just don't get it maybe i'm just you know maybe guys and gals who've read him for a long time get it and maybe it's funny maybe there's a humor that i'm not getting so my issue is not with the premise premise is fine uh another issue uh, an, an issue is 
Didn't think it was very well written to begin with. My issue is they wrote a tweet that, just think about it, on its face, the pandemic has reminded us we don't need more sports in our lives. We need less. That, from a huge account, is custom-made to create just an overwhelming ratio. And I think they leveraged the tweet for the article. They leveraged the ratio for the article. No, I, 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 it's kind of what I'm saying. I mean, if you're a digital producer and you're like, here's this column. I mean, he didn't, I don't know who wrote the headline. Like maybe Norman wrote the headline and he's a whiz and he understands, you know, what can, um, what's a great web headline. And it really is a great web headline. Is it not? No, I mean, I think as far as like just wanting to trigger people, they hit all like engage people. They hit all the right notes. I mean, a lot more people probably read it than wouldn't have had have otherwise. No, they did, uh, it was. A, I mean, no, but do you? I don't know what gets lost in between. I don't know. You know, it's a that could be a kind of like a bee sting you know bee only gets one sting like you may get one you may get one shot at a bunch of clicks like that but like what do you sacrifice i don't know i mean i don't know how many people i still think the washington post is a great paper i mean there's you know it's one of the top three papers in the country but take. you know what do they uh what do you lose when you put out something like that i don't know i mean i'm not tra- trying to make a mountain out of a molehill here i know i kind of have but uh I guess I do get a little bit bothered when, you know, the. I didn't think the column really tackled the question that well. I didn't really get it. Also, was sort of misrepresentative, like uh, saying that it's that the, the pandemic has taught us as if there's some large group of people that feels this way when it's really just this one dude. Um, I, I just think it was a cheap, you know, I think it was a cheap trick, basically, and. That was the problem I had with it. I don't have, I have no problem with somebody writing that they, you know, that they think that this is some perspective that we don't need sports, but I didn't think he made the point very well. And after reading, I didn't even think he tried, but then I think, and this is what it seems like in a last gasp attempt to give this some traction. It was just the headline and the tweet was just built for a, a big digital splash, which it did make one. Well, let me tell you, the takes have been flying. I think people, as I said, have been getting a little stir crazy, kind of reaching their breaking point. I mean, there's just some stuff that comes out that makes you think, you know, is this, I mean, this can't be real. Like, I don't feel like anyone in a normal state of mind would think this. So. But I would never, I don't think this would, I wouldn't even be ranting about this if we didn't have, if we had more to talk about. Um Oh, I mean, I, I, but I just thought it was interesting. I mean, it was just seemed like everybody had a reply to that tweet this weekend. And, you know, he got into it. The Norman did with uh, Clay Travis and he clapped at the athletic. I mean, it was just like everybody had a everybody had a take on it. So um, this is where this is what we've been reduced to. Do you want to get into some Corona free conversation? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that people deserve it. We put we put everyone through some serious and hard stuff. You give them some light. What did you have in mind? We have been writing personal columns. You and I, Clay Horning as well, who has not been 
on the podcast in quite some time, but we've been writing personal columns quite a bit lately. Kind of want to start here just because you and I both wrote about our favorite sports movies, which I honestly probably could have written about um, The Sandlot, which you did on, was it Saturday or Sunday? Uh, uh, it was in Sunday's paper. Gotcha. So this past, we've been, you know, through the pandemic, we've been writing personal columns on a weekly basis and uh, just, you know, trying to, I guess, show a more personal side to all of us. Um, you know, it's ranged from like favorite sports movies, favorite venues we've attended, uh, what got us into sports. Sports movies is a big part of like why I love sports so much. I mean, the, the, if there's uh, anything that I can really just c- kind of mindlessly consume, it's it's a good sports movie. Um, once you you know uh, look past some of the how the sport is actually portrayed, but you know I, I love a good you know formulaic sports movie, a good underdog film. Um, you wrote about the Sandlot, which just an iconic movie, and. I'm curious, did you go back, first off, did you go back and watch The Sandlot this past week? I did not. I put myself kind of up up against the wall with my with my time. So I kind of just wrote um, a take on it, if you will. But uh, it's actually been years since I've probably watched it. But it was, you know, it's just one of those, it's just one of those movies. Um, I don't know if it's like comfort food. I don't know if we... I know we owned the movie growing up. I mean, the VHS tape. Um, we probably wore it out, but we just we watched a lot, and it was a time where it was always on TV too. So it's just one of those classics. Um, I don't know if it just reminds you of your childhood because that's when you saw it, or what the deal is. Um, I really don't. I don't know what's so great about it, but I think it's just a. It's just got. It's kind of just got it all. Kind of just American nostalgia and you know, friendship, it's got all that. And it's just also just kind of a classic, all those lines, you know, it's just, it's great. I, and you know, it probably is my favorite sports movie, but it's really close. I mean, there's a big conversation there. Um, Clay picked the natural. I, and I really like the natural. I just saw that only a couple of years ago um, with Robert Redford. And I, I always loved field of dreams. I mean, I think field of dreams might be, it might be my number one. It's like number one or one, one B, um, it's it's right up there too. Um, it's kind of funny. Yeah. That I feel like baseball is such like a. It feels like if if you're solely trying to figure out if you if, if like you look through a Hollywood lens like what the most popular sport is, I feel like baseball gets a lot of is maybe one of the most uh, most portrayed sports in cinema. Just as far as like when we think of some of the great sports movies, a lot of them have to do with baseball, and you know, obviously, you know just being a you know baseball being america's pastime and i feel like that's where probably a lot of it stems from but i mean i think if you look in like a 2020 context i'm not sure that major league baseball is the most popular professional sport but sandlot is so great in so many different ways and kind of like with a lot of sports movies it's a great time capsule into just a different generation of kids and i mean I don't I'm not gonna sit here and act like I grew up and like that's how my friends were but just like going out and playing with like neighborhood kids just is something like I don't know if that's lost on kids today because uh, I don't have kids of my own but I would hope that kids are still like 
going out to you know an empty field and playing baseball with each other i would hope that's still happening is there a is there like a favorite scene you have from the sandlot um yeah and i think and i this ties in really with what you're saying i think it is i think it does just remind people about being kids and going outside and playing which sounds really simple i i always just really liked the uh 4th of July scene with the Ray Charles oh, it's America perfect. the beautiful rendition i mean that's just it just makes you feel something every time um other than that i mean i i always as a kid i always got a lot of enjoyment just like watching them uh win that little league game against those that that like official little league team and you know everybody starts you know hitting the ball and um you know that was always cool and I guess it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I know the first few times when I saw it, I always kind of felt, I mean, it's kind of a cheesy ending, you know, when like turns out like Benny's playing for the Dodgers and uh, Smalls is the announcer. I mean, that seems like a little far-fetched, but I think the first few times I watched it, I always felt, felt something when those guys were, had gone on and their paths had kind of like stayed aligned in the way that like one of them was calling major league baseball and one of them was a major league baseball player and while the others had kind of all gone off and one was never heard from again. Bertram, I think was the one that got really into the sixties and nobody ever heard from him again. I didn't even get that. Till, I didn't get that till I was older. Um, but uh, it's, I should have rewatched it honestly, so I could add a fresher a- outlook, but I didn't. It's um, good, man. I, I recently rewatched it. I actually introduced it to Alyssa, uh, I can't, I think a year ago. And she was, she was a big fan of it. I mean, it, it just, it's such a timeless movie. Um, the one thing that I really enjoy about Sandlot is the sleep, like the treehouse scene or the sleepover scene. I can't remember if it's in a treehouse, but, um, they just like the squints is like telling the story about like his uh his grandfather or whatever like dealing with you know the the neighbor's dog and like how they had to like you know lock it up and stuff and like just like little stuff like that just like really is so nostalgic and reminding you of like your childhood just like your friends telling you like crazy stories and just like myths that you all kind of believed in just everything felt so bigger and like to kind of tie into that, like when, um, when Smalls obviously takes the, the Babe Ruth ball and it loses it and he's like realizing like, oh, I'm dead. And you know, that's not a small thing to lose. It's a pretty valuable possession, but like everything when you're a child just seems like, like life and death. Um, Mm -hmm. and just like some of those, just like a really, you know, kind of tug at you as far as just like remembering what it was like to be a kid and i love the casting of it all i mean the the, that group right there is just it's a i I don't know if it's like a and like i'm not trying to go like old man on his porch but like i mean just like the little ragtag group of like friends like i mean i just feel like movies used to do it so well i don't know if they still do it now but just like i haven't feel like i don't see it as much but like just like a really good blend of people um and so they nailed the cast they nailed the cast i mean it there's really not an as far as just like the group like you you can sometimes kind of pinpoint like who the weak link is but like all of them kind of serve like like a baseball team just they all kind of serve a purpose 
and they all are very likable and you know even those smalls can you know he's he's the new kid and you know he's just like doesn't really know what he's doing and it can get really cringy especially the where he like he's playing with them for the first time and he doesn't want to throw the ball back because he doesn't know how so he like walks it back to the pitcher from right field just mm-hmm. stuff like that you know it, it's still it's it's, an, it's such an endearing movie it's such a it's such a classic um really would recommend if if you haven't seen it in a long time go back and watch it it's it's gonna it's gonna hit you all in the feels um just a great great american movie great great baseball movie great sports movie um you ended up going with coach carter yeah um good movie i really love coach carter it's it's got some it's got some flaws um but you know who doesn't love something that's a little bit flawed it just it's it's kind of my movie taste honestly it's just like flawed movies that are kind of have like flimsy premises and i mean this one's actually based on real life events but the it kind of was weird how it happened i explained this in the column i tweeted about it but like i don't know what happened like when you press play on your like laptop it sometimes like opens up itunes and i have coach carter purchased um (laughs) in my itunes library and it's like the uh, first thing alphabetically so I think that's why it started playing and I just like I couldn't help but watch it and I like I, I was working on like a story for the next day's paper and I was about to do desk um, later that night but I just I couldn't help myself but like watch that for um, watch that I think I got probably got like I don't know if I got all the way through like I finished it like later that night um, once I got done with work but like it's just such a you know Samuel L. Jackson it's he's got he's had so many great roles and i just feel like i don't know if he gets enough credit for that one but i mean he looks and sounds i think it's probably honestly not even the looks of it just like because he's got a very stern look about him but like he's he just sounds like a basketball coach um he sounds like a i mean honestly you could probably put samuel jackson in any sport you know that like if you made him into like a hard nose like you know uh football coach or you know coordinator or whatever you want to have him do but like he's just really got that down was coach carter a movie that you enjoyed in the mid-2000s i did see it and it was you know it had the components of a good sports movie i I wouldn't put it you know in my in my top five but I, i think that you mentioned flaws i think all sports movies have those because they're always flirting with the far reaching, like maybe a little bit, they, they, each of them goes to a corny place at some point, you know, where you're like, uh, you know, I mean, field of dreams. Like I love when he says, asks his dad if he wants to have a catch, but man, it's like a really, it could also, I, it's kind of corny too, but, um, they're all kind of they all kind of have those those spots but coach carter samuel l jackson is a basketball coach you really can't go wrong yeah i'm once again as i said my movie tastes aren't the best and i don't really watch a whole lot of like like the section on netflix that's i think it's called blockbuster movies i just feel like i haven't seen any of them um i'm really into I feel like trash movies, not so much into trash TV, but trash movies. I'm really good. I don't think coach card is a trash movie, but you know, I think it did. I think it did decent with the critical reception. Um, but uh, coach card well, is up there for me. Yeah. And 
Um, I'm trying to, I, I had another, I mean, you know, there's like a lot of cool ones. Like for some reason, when you're a kid, like I can think of a bunch that I saw when I was a kid that I just was in love with. Like, uh, mighty ducks was up there, like cool runnings. Did you ever see cool runnings? No, but I was big into mighty ducks. Did you ever see the air up there? I did not know. Oh man. Those are some nineties kind of like at this point now, there's probably some people that are my age that have seen those, but like somebody like you should really watch cool runnings is about the Jamaican. It's based on the true story of a J- Olympic Jamaican bobsled team. Well, I, I was gonna say, John, I know John Candy's in it. I know the plot of it. And like, I, like oh, I, okay. people talk about it quite a bit. I feel like on Twitter, I feel like people are going to come after me if they hear this, but um, the air up there may not be looking back. I don't know if it's like politically, how politically correct it all is. I don't know. Like Kevin Bacon, uh, travels to africa to a native tribe to recruit a uh you know basically somebody who is within a a tribe of some tribe and he's like trying to convince him to come to america and like go to college you know because he's like six eight and just can dunk i was gonna i mean cool run or the for most of the 90s movies that i feel like i the sports movies i watched were like straight to like disney channel sports type movies which is something i considered but I, i'll add those to my list so the cool runnings was that that was was that more of a a drama or more funny or just like no well comedic comedic yeah it was a comedy it was a comedy but then like it you know there's like a moment of you know it's like people don't want to accept them because they're uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, I think if I remember right, there's like a German bobsled team. that's like, you guys don't belong here. You know, you should never have come here. You know, that's a terrible German accent, but there's like, you know, they're, they're the outsiders because there's no, you don't expect someone from Jamaica to have a bobsled. Um, I was trying to think, you mentioned Diz, uh, straight Diz, video to Disney. And I'm trying to think of the rollerblading movie. Brink that everybody Brink yeah I, I almost wrote Brink about Brink time. but I thought I th- you should have I I really thought like I was gonna lose some people just like from the first line well you it's hard you know when you're writing them unless you just pick one that's like a universally acclaimed movie you're gonna lose some people but you would have you know you would have had some people been like Brink yeah they would have they would have gotten into it it was a missed opportunity I think but I I really love I feel like Brink go ahead oh no I was gonna say I really love Brink um what is it? Uh, Disney had like a really long run of like good sports movies or good like like kid. Like I'm not saying like good sports movies like overall, but it's like if you were a child and you were like watching these, you were a big fan. But like Double Teamed um, was really good. Take It to the Mat, Full Court Miracle, Go Figure. Um, Never. I was, I'd say I don't know any of those. Okay, then maybe a little bit past maybe your generation more into mine, but well, like. But there's one from my generation, and I'm embarrassed to say it. I mean, I need to probably just watch it. I've never seen any given Sunday. Maybe that could be a – not to steal the rewatchables from the ringer, but, like, maybe we can, like, watch some sports movies that both of us haven't seen and, like, dive into them. I think that's exactly what we should do. I think that's exactly what we should do. We'll dedicate – you know, we can't keep anything short, so maybe it's 15 minutes to to a movie, (laughs) and we'll – yeah, I'd be all for that. There's yeah. some that I'm. Th- there's not a whole lot of great football sports movies, unless I'm, unless I'm just not thinking about them. You know, like, 
uh, Rudy is up there. I always loved Rudy. One time when I was in a little, or when I was a teenager, I got in big trouble. And I remember being grounded on a Friday night watching Rudy and, and like being like a 13, 14. I don't remember how old I was. I, I might have been a little older. It was a little bit more than just like regular mischief. I might have even been like 16 and I was like grounded. And I was like, how do you get grounded when you're 16? You know, because I thought I had kind of outgrown that. And I remember watching Rudy and just doing this young, imagine a 16 year old me like reevaluating his choices <laughs> and his life. I was like, I just, if I could only be like Rudy. Like, look how disciplined he is. He's <laughs> studying. He shouldn't even be playing football. Somehow he's gotten on the team. I, you know, my thoughts on Rudy. I know. Yeah. And I'm, I I'm, respect it. I'm not, not the biggest of fans. Oh, I was going to say one thing, uh, just kind of what I just with talking about cool runnings that, um, that's so, I feel like prevalent with like comedies is that like, you know, a lot of I feel like a lot of comedies do really well when it's based around sports. Um, and if there was an, an, another movie that I thought about writing about was like just kind of like picking out of a hat any Will Ferrell movie like Talladega Nights, uh, Semi Pro, Kicking and Screaming. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you could really go a lot of different directions, but I mean, I always loved Tin Cup. Another Kevin Costner, the golf one. I was going to say, like, haven't seen that. Happy, Happy Gilmore caddyshack uh-huh. like oh yeah yeah there's so many there's so many good sports comedies that like i almost thought i was like i could really just write a column about like just like bullet point like here are my favorite like sports comedies because i mean those are the really the movies i love a lot i mean because when we talked about like our entryway to sports and stuff like that um i don't think i really touched on this but like i don't play video games outside of like sports video games and like I, i'm not really that way with movies like i, I will watch stuff that like goes outside of sports pretty regularly but like it's it's a pretty easy kind of thing kind of like you said it's just kind of like comfort food it's just like it's something that you're familiar with and you can kind of like relate to in a little bit of a way depending on how ridiculous it is but you know there's just something nice about just like you know cozying up to like a hour and a half film about like a you know a, a team that's based around like kind of a like a you know comedic premise so yeah and you kind of know there's you most often than not you know that the ending is you're heading towards something really happy. I mean, I, I for some reason my mind's stuck on I can't think of all the great football movies, but Jerry Maguire's in there. Um, Remember the Titans? Oh yeah, remember the Titans. But even that, you know, if if you walk if you go back and watch it a little bit later, you realize it's there's some flaws there. There's some there's some corniness. Kind of <laughs> oh, there's a lot of corn dr- there. Yeah, and but at first, I and when I first watched it, I didn't. I mean, I just wanted to run through a wall for for everyone. <laughs> Coach for Boone, Coach Boone for America, for Dr. King, you know, for everyone. I, I was just like, let's tack, let's beat racism, let's go, you know, win football games, let's do it all. And and it, that one was so sad. You know, oh. there's that. There's a. I mean, I did. I wasn't expecting. I didn't when I was. A, when I saw that as a kid, I didn't know any of the story. I didn't realize it was going to end so tragically. I mean, it it's it's an emotional roller co- roller coaster that like lasts thirty minutes or so. I mean, mm-hmm. to kind of take you. I mean, because the movie really like takes you on this ascent. Like you're like, okay, we're building towards something. We're building towards something. Like things are getting better, and then just out of nowhere, just like it's just sad. It's really sad. Um, 
But yeah, you say like, you know, some of these are formulaic in the way that you know things are going to turn out well. That's one of the reasons why I really like Friday Night Lights is I've kind of like grown up with it, like like watching it more and more is that I like mm-hmm. that they don't win in the end. I know it's based on real events, but like it's just kind of like a nice like I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't know anything about the story. And I was like, oh, my God, they lose. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like it, it was it, it was just like one of those things and that that i mean that's one of the things i love about the tv show is like and there's multiple seasons to it sometimes they win sometimes they don't but like you know they really like try to play into this is not a this is not a perfect team this is not a perfect scenario so yeah i mean you can't win every game in texas high school football i i don't know who needs to hear that yeah well That's so true. Can you, can so you uh, put some respect on your 2018 Heisman Trophy winner, Kyler Murray? Uh, yeah, I can't stop thinking about Kyler Murray as I watch The Last Dance. Um, you know, he just not to, not going to claim I know he or Michael Jordan personally, but um, kind of just Murray's no nonsense. You know, I'm just going to go out and win, but also just the um, physically when I, when you, they talk about, I know you haven't caught up yet, so I'm not going to stay on it for too long, but the last couple episodes, how they talk, how he revamped his body for baseball, then had to, you know, revamp it again for basketball. Um, it's just amazing to me when I, when, you know, multiple sport athletes like that at a high level, you know, what Jordan was able to do when he went back and played minor league baseball after not playing baseball since high school. Um, what Murray did after his layoff and, which was not near as long as Michael's, you know, but for Murray to get back and, and work himself into shape, just in really, when you look at it about a year, it took him about a year to get himself to a top 10 MLB draft pick. And of course he was always on track to become the number one NFL draft pick. But uh, I just, just people just that short time with Murray in the spotlight at OU um, people just need to, appreciate that I, I looking it made me think about it a lot last night how cool of an era that really was and uh how i mean just go back and watch kyler murray uh, highlights that's all you really have to do watch him swing a baseball bat i mean he wasn't a great defender uh in the in the field um but he was adequate um and then and just watch his highlights on the football field it's just what an amazing brief run he had um uh in the uh and the old crimson and cream, as they say. It really the time the the lifespan of an OU quarterback, just with Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts being one and done guys. It's kind of made it odd to think that it was only two years ago when Murray was the quarterback for the Sooners, and that season he had in 2018 was pretty incredible, and probably goes a little bit. I mean, it's a little bit underrated just because of the way things ended and it was, there was not a whole lot of time for things to marinate because there wasn't like a return and there wasn't really a before, like there was just that one season and that's all you got from Kyler. Um, I do think you bring up a good point. I mean, you know, the mentality of like what Kyler has, like, you know, people talk a lot about, you know, the, you know, with Kobe Bryant, the mom of mentality, but you know, he, he got that from Michael and his mentality. And like, I feel like Kyler's kind of, kind of similar in that way, just as far as just like how he carries himself. I think it's a really good point, but 
it's going to be yeah. interesting to where his NFL career goes because I think there's a lot of for him and I mean I don't know if this is just like being too close to it on social media but there's a lot I feel like a weight behind Kyler Murray being a future NFL superstar same kind of thing with like Trey Young in the NBA like I feel like those two guys right there like the 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 writing is there for them to like really be if they're not future superstars it's going to be it feels like they're going to be considered maybe disappointments but Kyler in particular though it feels like there is a lot of backing behind him that he's going to be a really big deal in the NFL and he had a similar type rookie season that Baker Mayfield had and we all saw how Baker Mayfield's sophomore year in the NFL went it wasn't great it seems like Kyler is I don't want to say he's in a similar situation but like he's got you know a star receiver a new star receiver coming in um but will it all translate he's obviously got the same head coach but man it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of continues this if he can if he can sustain it but um hopefully we get to see this all play out the nfl schedule came out last week and if you're a big fan of the dallas area or if you're living in the dallas area there's a lot of ou stuff to be looked at because the believe the browns and the cardinals visit the cowboys in october i know the browns visit the cowboys the week before ou texas i think there might be another one um but another game in the month but uh I'm not really big into the NFL schedule release, but like it felt like an event Thursday night. I don't know if it felt like that for you, but um. uh, I didn't really sense it. But like, and I'm kind of with you. I don't, you know, the teams are going to play each other. Um, I don't. I get from a if it's your beat, you know, you have it's it's of interest to those of of great interest to those fans when those games are, so they can make their schedules. So it's an important thing when you're a a reporter you know, to be all over that. And, but, uh, you know, it's a schedule release right now. It seems a little funky because football's so up in the air. I mean, let's face it. If there's, if there's a league that's going to get itself going, it's, it's going to be the NFL. So oddly enough, I feel like as confident as anything that the NFL will have a season. I just think it can figure it out. Um, but in the others, it's just, you know, I guess it's just wait and see. But that's kind of whatever. I feel like we end every podcast uh, right now with let's wait and see. Well, because it's not I don't that. have one. I, I don't have one answer, but I, it's, it, that's OK. No, but if we if we claim to have answers, then we would have a problem. Well, but before we get out of here, let's not let's end it on maybe somewhat of a positive note. Uh, something that we're going to be doing this week is talking about some of our best uh, some of the best OU individual performances we've covered Um and I know that you had a few options that you were kind of looking at. I'm curious, just from your time on the OUB, what are some of the best indiv- individual performances you've seen? Yeah, well, not I mean, not to sp- we could probably spend a, a whole pod on, on oh, this, yeah. but um, get teased the fans I, a little you know, bit. And to be fair, to be fair, I think the the technically the series is best individual form performance you've ever covered. So you know, this benefits somebody like clay horning who's been um and he's been at this thing for a long time um you know people like us who have been just getting our careers started in the last decade don't have quite as much to choose from so 
I'm, I'm sort of probably going to, I don't have much choice, but to go the OU route, but I did have, so the, I, I do have a few that come to mind. Um, let us go back to 2017 Baker Mayfield at Bedlam, you know, uh, just seemed like he just, uh, I, he's the one I remember that that was of course, Marquise Brown's breakout game where he really, really burst onto the scene and um, had a monster game. But I, I just seem to remember it being, I mean, it was, it was Mayfield basically just putting a, the Heisman trophy kind of in a headlock. He was just, it seemed like he clamped down on it at that point. Um, you know, the yardage that he combined for uh, was, you know, was, what, what was it? I, I thought I just had it here. Oh, 589 yards of total offense through for five touchdowns, um, 24, 36 passing. Um, I mean, it was just a monster game. That one stands out to me. Uh, the other one I had to, I, I knew it would be probably a Kyler Murray. I just think I had to include him in the conversation because, you know, he, he did so many electric things here. And I was, uh, I was reminded of his game against Baylor in 2018. Um, if you'll, if you'll remember, that was the day that he didn't start the series or he sat out the first play. Remember he, he had set his alarm clock. He had missed up. He was late for a practice. Yeah. So it was um, uh, Kendall, like they, like Kendall went three and out, they punted and then Baylor immediately turned the ball over and then they brought Kyler in. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I was, for some reason in my mind, I was like, did they just keep him in for a snap? But yeah, they, they did start Kendall for the whole first series, but it just, yeah, it just seemed like it was so funny. Yeah. Because Baylor muffed the kick. Um, oh, you just got the ball right back. It was almost just like a redo for that opening series. And then Murray was on the field and then just, I mean, the day he had 17 to 21, um, passing, I, I just remember him. He could not, he could not do anything wrong. 432 yards through the air, six touchdowns, um, that pass efficiency rating was 348.04. That is ridiculous. And I just remember the efficiency that he had that day was was insane. And it, and it, you know, it wasn't a big deal, the the not starting thing. I mean, we all asked him about it afterwards. Uh, I remember Barry Trammell asking him if it was the snooze that he got mixed mixed up, and that's why he uh, messed his alarm clock up. I thought that was funny. It was like basically a no big deal thing, but he also didn't start, uh, and then just came in and just absolutely torched Baylor. So those those are mine. I mean, I would say those are mine from the OUB. Not a not a huge sample size or anything, but um, those are the ones that stick out for me. Uh, for myself, this was the second game I covered on the OUB when I was at the OU Daily. This would have been my like junior year of college, 2015, Oklahoma at Tennessee, first road game or second game on the schedule, and. Oklahoma just I mean there was three quarters of this game where I thought wow this is uh this this Baker guy I don't I don't really know about him I don't I'm I'm not sure this is all gonna work out and that was uh Mm -hmm. you know quickly quickly Baker proved everyone wrong and he had a really rough start to that one but honestly just seeing that fourth quarter the comeback the overtimes I mean it was just you know, for for Oklahoma fans that remember it fondly, I I mean, I just remember it like super well because you know we kind of like 
pinching pennies. And so to like get three of us beat writers from the student newspaper to, to Knoxville, um, I basically volunteered like, okay, like, you know, you guys will be in the press box and I'll be the photographer on the sideline. You know, I was still writing, but like, I was just like, you know, that way we can, you know, at that time, I think the OU, OU daily only got like two seats and I think they're up to three now. Um, Blasphemy. I know. Uh, but Baker, that, that, that game from Baker was just, I mean, the, the, the thing is like his stats were, I mean, if you look at his stats, they're, they're pretty abysmal. Like in just in any other context, so like if you if mm-hmm. if Tyler, if I told you a quarterback went nineteen for thirty nine, one hundred eighty seven passing yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions, forty six rushing yards, and one rushing TD. I mean that just doesn't scream like all time performance. It screams L. It screams a big fat juicy L. But Baker, what just kind of like you know the big breakout party for him showing the world who he is shush i mean and that's the other thing about like baker is like he's always been this very i don't want to say cocky but just a very confident guy I mean, probably cocky is the right word but like he's shushing the crowd is the second game he started at ou and i know he you know played uh and started a few games at texas tech but like this is the biggest game he's probably played in the or at least the biggest road environment and he's shushing the crowd as he's like putting the you know you know, putting Tennessee away, you know, m- mounting yeah, his and comeback. It, yeah. And I think at the time, uh, it was sort of just one component of him was certainly like, I think he became a more polished player, but that seemed to reveal, um, that stick to that feistiness, you know, no, the line wasn't good, but he won. And I, that ended up being a component of his too, that you just couldn't, he just was a tough guy to beat. And I mean, ask Oklahoma State about it. I mean, they had some good teams that, um, in any other year, probably would have had some a couple more bedlam victories. But I mean, Baker Mayfield just he had a he he just sort of had a a thing about him that um you know he wasn't going to lose, and that was a perfect example in in Tennessee. And just man, what what a great atmosphere for you to soak in too. Just being down on the field like that I'd, and still getting to write. I would, I wouldn't mind doing that someday. Um, you know, getting out from the press box and covering a game from the sidelines like that. Cause it's not a bad way to live. No, I mean, I, there's, there's a, uh, it's easy to get rattled down there. I mean, it's a lot happening at once. I was pretty fearful um, that the camera equipment I had was going to get destroyed. Cause I thought Tennessee fans were going to rush the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you key, if you're maybe not right in the main bar, if you're writing one thing, um, it's not like you know, we have to, yeah. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> but if you're, yeah, that's 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 another thing. But I mean, if you have a, a doable, sort of a controllable um, story that you're working with, I mean, that's there's some color that you can get from the field that you're not going to get from the press box, and um, that would that'd be a lot of fun. But of course, that's not going to happen at Owen Field uh, anytime in the foreseeable future with the space they have down there. And of course, we know that. Um, we are in wait and see mode for the next football season. So, um, but for the time being, Joe, I, I do just really enjoy, uh, talking off season football with you. I think we're, I think we're doing the most we can with it. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, you know, it's been a struggle, but you know, we're getting through. We, we enjoy kind of spending time with you guys every Monday, 
um, and just chatting. And you know, it's been it's been a lot of fun. We appreciate all the feedback you guys have given. We appreciate the the Eddie Radosovich episode. Uh, you guys were seemed to be super happy with it. it. Was one of our most listened shows. So we appreciate you guys for for doing that or for you know tuning in. Tyler, uh, we'll be back again next Monday. Until then, we hope you guys are subscribed to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms. If you're using Apple, we wouldn't mind it if you left us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how we're doing. We'd really appreciate it. For Tyler Palmatier, my name is Joe Bettner, and we will catch you next week.